0: Three. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, you guys. If you don't know me, I'm a very interactive preacher, so y'all gonna have to talk back to me today. I say good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are y'all doing today? It is a pleasure. It is a pleasure to be back here this morning at Triad. Mm, what a journey. Um, before we get started, <clears throat> I just want to give a couple thank yous. Before we get started, uh, i give a thank you to Pastor Matt uh, for trusting me with this opportunity to share his pulpit this Easter weekend. Uh, we planned this a few months ago, and um, <clears throat> as the weeks got closer, uh, you guys will know like I'm a very passionate, outgoing, super like engaging, but I was very, very nervous to think about coming back. You know, like I have, was like shaking in my boots. I was like prepping, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? But I'm thankful that through the years, I've been blessed to be able to still have such a good relationship with Pastor Matt and uh, Amy and be able to come back and come um, do some more ministry with you guys. For those of you who don't know, about almost four years ago, uh, after I did a graduate program at Southern Adventist University, I interned here um, for a few months in the summer of 2018. Um, Since then, TAF has been a home for me. It's had a special place in my heart and it always will continue to be. I wanna give another thank you to my beautiful girlfriend who came here with me today. Her name is Bessa, everybody say hi, Bessa. Um, uh, thank you for um, coming down here with me. Um, I appreciate you, I love you. Uh, thank you for your support and for being here today. Um, we also have two kids. Uh, for those of you who know Grace, she's three years old now. Uh, she's doing amazing. We also have another kid, seven years old, her name is Caden. so cute family gorgeous time. Um, I just thank them for supporting me in this journey here so far. Um, And lastly, I just want to thank TAF. Um, I'm not sure if you guys understand the impact that you guys as a community made on me almost four years ago as a college grad that was just coming out of school who was still figuring his life out. Uh, You guys provided a safe place for me, a home, um, you know, a place to build, uh, a place to be able to know that no matter what's happening in life, God still has some people who love you, you know? No matter where you are, you always feel like a sense of connectivity to a group of people. And trust me, over the last few years, I've definitely thought of moving back over here and coming back and rocking it out. Um, but God had different plans for me and uh, took me back to Chattanooga. And um, I can share a little bit more about what God's been doing in my life the last few years. Um... So our scripture reading for this morning, if you guys have your Bibles with me, we're reading out of the book of John chapter 19, John chapter 19. When you guys are there, you can say, amen. If you're not there yet, you can say, slow down, preacher. Tell me to take my time, because I'm going to be taking my time this morning. Um, so yeah, John chapter 19, verse 28. When you're there, just give me a, a holler and just say, uh, uh, I'm there with you, Preacher. <laughs> All right, we're there, we're there. John chapter 19, verse 28. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said three of the most famous words in scripture. We all know this one by heart. He said, it is finished. Then, immediately after, he bowed his head and he released his spirit. Jesus now knew, once again, he said his mission was finished. He took his time, he was hanging on the cross, and we're gonna dive in a little bit more to this story today on this Easter weekend. Um, in our sermon title for today, right here, uh, we're gonna be talking about the title, um, Checkmate. We're gonna talk about preaching on the title today, Checkmate. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Now, Father God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. God, we thank you that although we could have been anywhere else in the world today, Although we could have slept in, although we could have not shown up, although we could have been busy with the busyness that life has, um, you made a way for us to be here today. God, we thank you for those who are watching online, um, who are expecting a blessing and expecting a breakthrough. And God, we ask that you not only do it for them, but you do it for us, and we ask that you do it for us today. Now we thank you for uh, allowing this opportunity, this moment for us to be in ministry with you. And we pray that your spirit will be with every single person. Uh, Continue to bless us, keep us safe, and help us enjoy the rest of this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, growing up as a kid... Uh, For those who don't know, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm a Floridian. I love palm trees, beaches, sunny weather. Uh, My mother is Jamaican. My father is Haitian. I'm fully Caribbean. And I just had a fascination for life growing up. I was interested in sports. was a big thing for me. How many sports enthusiasts in here today? How many people are like, I see some sports, sports, some sports. Any sports over here? Sports, sports. Okay. That was my big thing growing up. I loved to play sports. I loved to watch sports. I loved to be engaged in sports. It was something about the adrenaline of the game that just gave me a rush. Um, growing up, Um, One of the first sports that I fell in love with was baseball. In 2003, if you guys recall, the uh, Florida Marlins beat um, the the, the New York Yankees for the World Series in 2003, and it was a shock to the world. Miami, Florida Marlins, no way these guys won. And, And my fascination for sports grew at that point because I saw the hard work that it took for a team to get to a championship. I saw the effort that a coach had to put into players. I saw the longevity of a season that it took to progress through the regular season, through the playoffs, through the World Series to play weekend and day in and day out to continue to work towards a goal as a collective unit, but also as individuals reaching their personal goals. After that uh, championship I saw in 2003, the next one that really was impactful for me was in 2006, Uh, when the Miami Heat defeated the Dallas Mavericks in a seven game series and brought home the first championship to the Miami Heat franchise history. Dwayne Wade was a star of the show in 2006, averaging about 35 points a game with the center from Los Angeles Lakers, Shaquille O'Neal dominating the center of the the court And, and the world was shook yet again. Miami was on top. As you guys can know, I'm a Miami fan so I'm gonna highlight my teams today. Um, after that, a championship in 2006, um, I started to try to get into football. But for those of you who know, the Miami Dolphins have not had a good season in a very long time. I wish I had a story to tell you about the conquering Miami Dolphins who, who continue to miss the playoffs year in and year out. But what I can say is they're still my team, and one day we're going to get it. We just got Tyreek Hill, so hopefully we've got a good season this season coming up. Um, so we're looking forward to that. But, but what it was for me, um, like I said, I was always uh, interested in games that had, like I said, an understandable flow, um, a simple goal, and something that made sense. You know, shoot a ball into a hoop. You know, hit a ball out of the field, you know, catch a ball and run into an end zone. These were simple sports that I think all of us growing up had some basic understanding of and made sense to us. And even if you're not a sports fan, you understand the objective of the goal of a basketball game is to score the ball, is to make a shot. If you're playing football, you want to score a touchdown. If you're playing baseball, you want to hit a home run. You want to be able to score because at the end of the game, you cannot win. In a game, if you're not scoring points. A lot of times in life, we play on the defensive side instead of the offensive side. Uh, we're not playing to win. We're playing to stay alive. We're playing to, to continue to live. We're playing to, to exist instead of living. Where, where the objective of life is to be on the offensive side, to be able to assert yourself, to be able to try to live as much as possible and to try to win the game. You know, nowadays, uh, when I was growing up, I'm a 90s baby, you know, and um, there was no such thing in the early 90s as like participation awards, like the whole participation award thing, like you showed up, you did your best, uh, everyone's a winner. That didn't happen for me growing up. There were winners and there were losers, okay? There was a clear divide between the two, and now I feel like the culture uh, has like water down the competitive nature, like I said, I'm a very competitive for the competitive nature to where everyone wins. And if everyone wins, then who loses? And if no one loses, then what's the point of competing? You know, what is the point of people spending their, their lives attaining a goal and reaching for something if we all win at the end of the game? If that's the pace that we all should be NFL players and MLB players and, and, and artists and musicians, because everyone wins, right? The whole world can win. As long as you try, you're a winner, But we know that's not true. We know there's a clear divide between success and failure. Uh, Sports tells us this, politics tells us this, you know, pop culture tells us this. Everywhere we look, we see the differences between winners and losers, and and the divide in between the two. Um, The competitive nature, uh, you know, growing up, uh, my mother, she's a nurse, and she hated competition. Like, my mom would tell me, stop bickering with your sisters, stop arguing, stop trying to be the best. Like, just just be humble, study, go to school, take your classes. But there was just something in me that just always wanted to be hyper-competitive. As I grew older, though, um, my competitive nature started to slow down, um, as we know, your metabolism slows down, you're, you're, you start working, your back doesn't function the way it used to, your, your knees can't run up and down the court like you used to, you know, that arm that you used to slug that football with, the shoulder starts to hurt a little bit, you know, you, you might have a little lower back pain now, and I have to start figuring out, how can I stay competitive and still have longevity with my physical body. I'm not as young as I used to be anymore. Uh, I can sprain my ankle a lot easier. I can fracture my wrist a bit easier. I can hurt myself if I push myself in a place that I'm not at anymore in life. You know? And sometimes we have to come to the realization of where we truly are in life and make the pivots accordingly to where we are. So now, uh, being 29, now about to be 30, uh, looking forward to that next chapter of my life, the next decade of my life, and and, and I've started to make a transition from going to the physical sports and started to move more into the mental sport game. Uh, I started to realize that I don't have to assert my dominance over someone physically anymore because God gave me a mind that is strong and powerful that can do almost the same thing in similar situations. Uh, so one of the games uh, that I've been starting to get into over the last four years has been chess. Chess has been a game that I've been studying, I've been locking into, I've been, I've been investing myself into. Um, and as a kid, I didn't understand the game of chess. I didn't understand the board. I didn't understand the, the offensive and defensive strategy. I didn't understand the difference between a knight, a rook, a pawn, a king, a queen. Uh, I, I didn't understand the complexity of the game, the different movements on the table, the, the amount of squares on the board and how each piece had a specific function in the game that it was allowed to function on the table of the chess game. I didn't understand, you know, so I would blindly jump into a chess game when I first started playing play a veteran and, and, and sacrifice my pawns and, and think I'm making the right move. And between four to five moves, I heard the words for the first time: checkmate. Checkmate. Mind you, um, nobody at this point here was was cheering. No one was stronger than me. No one outbattled me. Nobody, nobody took me to the basket and got a foul. Nobody threw a pass over my head. It, it was a mental uh, frustration that I had to to hear that somebody just beat me in a game of chess. Who am I, you know, to not understand the game when it is a thinking's man game for those who know it? Uh, to, the objective, the primary objective, for those of you who don't know, of playing chess is to capture the king while guarding your own. I'm gonna say that again. The primary objective of chess is to capture the king. The primary objective of playing the game of chess is to capture the king. Once again, the primary objective of playing chess is to what? Capture the king. king. So my question to you is this. What do we do when our king is captured? What do we do? Let's go ahead and jump back into John chapter 19. You see, and here in this story, we find Jesus, our king, has been captured. We see here uh, that the text goes on to say, uh, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill all scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, they put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, what those magical words were again, he said, it's is finished. Then the text says uh, in verse 30 that he bowed his head and he released his spirits. What do you do when your king has been captured? And here we find ourselves uh, seeing Jesus, our king, has been captured. Uh, the, the most famous man in the all Scripture was caught. And was hanging on the cross. After three and a half years of ministry, it came time for Jesus to fulfill his purpose. You see, his entire ministry, he was consistent with his message that one day he was going to die. Was that right? I'm pretty sure the entirety. Uh, he made one message clear: I am going to die. I, and what's crazy is that oftentimes the disciples did not want to hear it, nor did they didn't want to believe it. You know, he told them several times, guys, I'm going to a place. Guys, I'm going to a place. Guys, I will die, but I will be back. He told them time and time again, but the disciples chose, didn't want to hear it, and they chose not to believe it. And oftentimes, this is our situation too. We want to ignore the truth about life in order to preserve our peace about the current situation that we're in. We don't want to address the reality Of some things we have going on. So we'd rather say it's not going to happen because I don't want it to happen than to address the fact that the truth of the matter is that some things in life are inevitable to happen. Some things must happen, honestly, to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. Why is that, though? I believe it's because we would rather be surprised by the truth than have to face the truth head on. It's easier to be able to say, I had no idea it was coming than to say, I already knew it was on the way. It's harder to come to grips with the fact of an unexpected death than it is to say there was an, an expected death. You know, someone who's on a ventilator, is easier to understand that, you know, but it's sometimes we would prefer to have an unexpected death because we don't want to go through the pain of seeing something drag out. You know, we don't want to go through the pain of watching someone that we know and we love and we care about go through hard times and experience this drawn-out experience of pain and hurt and heartache. We'd much rather hear about it and forget about it as quick as possible. We'd much rather be told about it and not have to go through the lingering heartache and experience that's behind it. You see, I had no—you see, the truth is, like I said earlier, I had no idea— that this day was coming, the disciples said. But when we trust our lives on the chess board of life and that we have God as the chief player, we know that he's never lost a game and directed us, we can confidently trust our lives in his hands. He's never lost a game of chess, not once. But oftentimes we, we, we want to take the board that he's playing on the offense of our lives and turn the board towards us so we can now be in the driver's seat of our lives. It's easier to say that we have control than to relinquish control to somebody who is greater and more authoritative and knows what's best for us. So we often will will go through this tug of war of, of, of giving it to God and then taking it back from God. Okay, God, this month, I have no money. My finances, here you go. Oh, my finances are back up. Well, guess what? It's back in my hands again. Oh, God, my children are acting out. Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. Take this. Oh, everything is going well again? Thanks a lot, God. I'll take it back in my hands. We play this tug of war with God month in and week out, uh, giving him our lives and taking our lives back, giving it to him and taking it back. And over some time, eventually, God will allow you to have your will. If you think that you can play your life better than putting your life in God's hands, I have some sad news for you. You can't. What it takes to gain it is what it's going to take to maintain it. If God is the one who gave it to you, God is the one who will sustain it through you and for you. Amen? And oftentimes we have to trust that, that God, who has never lost a game of chess, has our lives in his hands. Um, we can trust that he knows exactly what he's doing. Because Jesus knew that he was on a mission. Jesus understood at the same time, it says here in verse 28, that Jesus now knew that his mission was finished. The one thing I love about Jesus that Jesus kept it real, you know what I mean? Jesus had a high sense of self-awareness and he knew exactly what time it was and where he was at in every season of his life. He knew when it was not his time to start ministry, he knew when it was his time to start ministry, and he knew when it was his time to end his ministry. He knew very clearly all the different seasons of his life. You see, he could have said while on the cross, I'm dying. He could have said, I'm hurting. He could have been a complainer and said, Lord, why me? Why am I stuck here on this cross with my hands spread, bleeding, hurting, in torment? Why, why me? He could have complained in this moment, but instead he understood that his mission was complete. Now, how many of us today know that each of us have a God-given mission to fulfill? Bow, raise your hands. How many of you guys know, like, like truly in your heart of hearts, like, like God has a mission on my life to fulfill? I see a few hands over here, some in the back, some over here. All right, we got a couple over here. Uh, I'm hoping that by the end of today, you guys understand that God does have a mission for your life. Like you're not here by mistake. Like this day today had nothing to do with coincidence or, or happenstance. Like this was a God ordained moment uh, for us. You see, and when we talk about having a mission to fulfill, we're not talking about having goals. You know, a lot of us, you know, they said like career goals, you know, I wanna climb the corporate ladder, I wanna achieve you know X amount of income annually, I wanna be able to make sure that I can provide this for my family, I wanna drive this car, I wanna be able to go on these types of vacations, I wanna be able to save this much amount, I wanna be able to retire by this age. We're not talking about goals. We're talking about having a mission, right? And what we're talking about is this mission is something that you were born to do that no one else can do. It's something that's uniquely designed for your specific makeup, for your skill set, for your talent, for your height, for your complexity, for your speech, for your perfection, for your imperfection, for your quirks, for your highlighted successes. Like that's specifically for you. That God put a mission on everyone's life. And it's up to us to go through the journey of life. Part of the challenge of life is we're navigating through life, trying to figure out, God, what is my mission? What did you bring me here for? Why am I here on this earth? With so much happening, with so much wars and pestilence, COVID, you know, vaccines, you know, gas prices. I, I, I mean, you name it. Like We have so much going on. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is the mission that you have me here for? You see, for Jesus, he understood his mission very, very clearly. He had one mission. His mission was to save humanity. And with a clear vision, you know how to spend your time and what things matter and what to work towards. You know, my mission in life was to preach and to minister. I know this without a shadow of a doubt. Like, no one can tell me, I don't care what I do, I don't care where I go, I don't care what job I hold, what state I live in, what I'm wearing, whether it's on the basketball court, at the gym, whether it's at the the, the barbershop, whether it's at the grocery store. Like, my mission in life is this right here. This is it. But I also have a question for you what is your mission? And how do you know what your mission is? You see, oftentimes we we, we encourage people tell them, oh, go on a mission, go on a mission, go on a mission, but we never really like dive deep into like how to know what your mission is. So I'm gonna give you guys some help to know how to know um, what your mission is. Um, The first thing you can do to know what your mission is, look at what gives you the greatest sense of fulfillment in life. Like when you wake up, and you think about the perfect day, like if finances weren't an issue, if, ch- if child rearing wasn't an issue, you know, if, if location, if you lived by the right family members and you had the right amount of support and the right people, like, like what truly in your heart of hearts gives you the biggest sense of fulfillment in life? The second thing you have to ask yourself is, is there a group of people that your heart bleeds for? Is there a group of people somewhere in the world, uh, whether it's minorities who are being you know, discriminated in a country, whether it's you know, Asian hate, you know, whether it's you know, choosing to be able to look for those who are in, in impoverished situations, the homeless, you know, the destitute, the, the, the mothers you know, who are single mothers. Like, like who is your group of people that you feel like God has put on your heart to say, man, God, I gotta help them. Like, this is an underserved community. Of people that your heart is bleeding towards you no know? and the third thing you have to do, like I said, uh, first thing is look at your what gives you the greatest sense of fulfillment? The second thing to do is to say is there a group of people that your heart bleeds for? because your mission will always be attached to serving the needs of this group of people And then the third thing you have to ask yourself is are you willing to put your life on the line for the thing that both fulfills you and the people who are attached to it? Are you willing to go that extra mile to say, choose me, Lord? Uh, y- yes, I know you could have chose anyone else, but you can choose me. I'm willing to sacrifice myself for these people, for this mission, for this time, for this calling, for you placed on my heart. Am I willing to go to bat for them and put myself in the way to be the difference for them to have a better future. Am I willing to sacrifice myself for my mission and for my people? And depending on your answer, that will let you know what is your God-given mission? That'll let you know. You see, but but here in this story in John, we see that Jesus is about to die. But the first thing he does is he acknowledges his mission and he is thirsty. But, he but what do the soldiers do? They give him a not-so-satisfying drink. The text goes on to tell us that Jesus says that he was thirsty. Um, we all know the feeling of being parched, you know, feeling that feeling in the back of your throat. Cotton mouth, some people call it. You know, when, when, you're, when you're expecting a drink and you, and you can't even get the words out because the, the, the larynx in the back of your throat is so, so immensely dry that you're, you're coughing to try. Jesus said, I am thirsty, And I love that they put this in the scripture because what this did was this reminded us that Jesus was human. They could have said, he could have said, uh, uh, angels, attack. He could have said, heaven, come down on these guards. But Jesus said, man, I'm human. He said, I'm thirsty. He said, I understand what you guys are going through. And oftentimes, when we read the Bible, we think that Jesus is this superhero that has no humanly feelings. He's just this perfect God that just got it all right. But time and time again, they they drop these nuggets in the Bible to remind us of the humanity of Jesus. He gets thirsty. He's just like us. He's no greater in the sense that he doesn't uh, acknowledge the infirmities that he has What he does, he lets us know that, hey, guys, you can talk to me about anything, even when you're thirsty. (laughs) I relate. I understand. You see, not only that, uh, uh, but but these soldiers, they didn't give him a very satisfying drink, did they? I mean, when I'm thirsty, you know, I like a nice bottle of water, you know? Like, this right here, for me, is everything. You crack the top, (sighs) beautiful, right? It goes down nice, nice and smooth. But they didn't do that for Jesus. I don't think they had uh, any purified drinking water to give him at that time. In actuality, what they did was uh, they took a a jar of sour wine that was sitting there. They soaked a sponge in this jar of sour wine. They put a hyssop branch on it, which is a very bitter herb. um, And then they held it up to his lips as if this would be the most satisfying thing for you in a moment of desperation and about to die. I know, if you guys ever had uh, anything that tastes sour, vinegary, rude. Like, like when you're thirsty, is that the first thing that comes to mind to think about drinking in your in your mindset? No, you want something refreshing. But but what this told me, I, I'm looking, I'm reading it from the reader's perspective. But I had to take a step back and see what's happening behind the scenes in this moment here in the text. And here's here's what I saw right here. He said, when you're fulfilling your mission, mind you, Jesus is on the cross. He's fulfilling his mission. He's identifying with humanity. He's saying, guys, I'm thirsty. The, the mission is complete, but I also still have needs. I'm also still a human being. Uh, what, what, what I got from this was that when you're fulfilling your mission, there will always be people who find a way to make completing the mission difficult. Always. Always. It, it doesn't fail. When you're, when, you're, when you're like close to the goal, that's when you get the most adversity that happens in life. You know, Jesus was literally about to, like, hit the goal. And he says, man, I got one request. Can I get something to drink? Immediately after that, he gets hit with adversity from someone. And you may read it as a surface level. But what I realized in taking a step back and looking through a different lens at this text is that this was an opportunity for, this was the last opportunity for Jesus to act out of character and doubt, You're about to hit the goal. And imagine if the story went like this. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. The soldiers soaked the sponge, and the one put in his lips. And the next thing that came out is Jesus cursed them out. Imagine, how would you feel reading that to say Jesus threw a fit? To say Jesus started shaking the beams of the cross and, and wiggling and tried to get out and said, the hell with you. Jesus said I'm done with this somebody get me off of this I-, I can't do this anymore imagine if Jesus raged for a second now some of you may be like whoa calm down preachers it's, it's, it's Jesus y- yes it's Jesus if you don't recall the story of him uh, going into the temple and raising literal hell in the temple and flipping the tables when the tax collectors were taking advantage of the less fortunate people who are who are unable to pay a percentage to be able to go into the temple they were they are raising the taxes they are raising the gas prices on them they are making it hard to get to work they're making it difficult for you to do the thing that you need to do because ceremonially you must make a sacrifice Oh, you want this turtle dove? Eh. Inflation. Yeah, you got, you got to pay triple now. Uh, we got to cover temple costs. We like it to be gold in here. So we got to make sure that we have enough to cover the cost of the floors and, and the windows and, and the chandeliers. So just triple it up for this. time. And Jesus, seeing the exploitation of his people, was furious and said, enough. He went to the temple and raised some hell in the temple. And Jesus, let it be known that this is not the way for things to go. He said, he said, he said, uh, uh, my house will not be a house for for sinners. He said he went in there and flipped these tables and said, guys, enough is enough. I'm done. And we've seen Jesus show rage and emotion in the Bible. This is the truth. Once again, Jesus is identifying with saying when I see something that I can't deal with anymore, I can't stay quiet Too many times our church stays quiet on topics and situations that happen in our community, around us, people that we know, and we remain silent when Jesus showed us it's okay to show a little emotion. It's okay to not be happy with the way things are. It's okay to want something different for life. It's okay to see some people being taken advantage of and to stand up and to stand in the gap and to say, not today. You can have them any other day, but today, it's not happening on my watch. This, uh, this experience can happen in your workplace when you see a coworker being unfairly paid for the job that they're doing, when you see someone being fired uh, unfairly at the workplace, when you see a family member who's going through an abusive relationship and you idly stand back because, you know what, Jesus was a passive dude in your mind. Why would I ruffle the feathers? We often say terms like, mind your business. I never once saw in the scripture that Jesus minded his business. I always saw that Jesus made it his business to be about the business of helping other people. Jesus made sure that every chance he had, he was standing up for someone and standing in the gap. He minded his business, but his business was his mission. His business was to save humanity. His business was to make sure that the people he was here to serve got the service that he was there to do it for. You see, like I said, the moment that these soldiers put this, this sour sponge to Jesus' mouth, he had a, a, a moment he could have acted wildly out of character. And this whole story could have ended completely different. But this was a test. You know, Jesus had an opportunity to not only act out of character, but to doubt as well. Father, I'm here on this cross. I got one request, something to drink. And you can't even do that you can, you can raise Lazarus from the dead, you can heal Naaman, you can, you can bring fire down for Elijah, you can part the Red Sea with Moses, you can, you can give Abraham a promise to have children on children, you can, you can give barren women children, you can do all that, but I can't get some water? Like, like it baffles me to think that the king of the universe had one request, and in his moment of grief was unable to, but it was a test, guys, it was a test, it was just a test, um, Like I said, he had a a moment and a chance, like I said, to engage in this opposition that he was being forced upon or to stay focused on his mission, no matter how hard it got at the end. You see, Jesus at this time had been hung on a cross, bleeding from his hands and feet, a crown of thorns on his head, sweat dripping into open wounds. Have you ever had an open wound that had some sweat dripping into it and you felt the sting of the blood touching the open wound, the air? You know, Jesus was there uh, sweating. Uh, uh, he was stinging at this time. He was, he was bothered by insects that were just in his Like, you just, like, you know when that one little gnat is in your face and you just want to get, he, he had nowhere to go. He was hot. He was depleted. And at this time, I can, I can almost believe, uh use my, crea- my creative imagination to say that he, he had a moment to, to contemplate giving up. If he's really identifying with us as humans, that's how we move. You know, when things get tough, we think about giving up. You know, and I can only imagine the thoughts that he had, but, but, but what was more important to him than his feelings in the moment was staying focused on his mission. He said, I must do this to save humanity. See, and this is where many of us today, feeling hung on the cross, waiting to die, thinking that all hope is lost, but not understanding that Jesus knew that he had to do this. He knew it. Jesus knew that he had to do this. You see, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 12, says, if you guys want to turn there, With me, Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 12. um, It says this. It's talking about Jesus. It's a prophetic message from the prophet Isaiah. He says, Yet it was our weakness he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we, though his troubles were a punishment for God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, he said, all of us, he said, every single one of us, like sheep, have strayed away. I don't care who you are, how holy your life looks, how perfect you may be after you got it all cleaned up, but we all at some point were led astray in life. He said, we have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins for us all. Verse 7 says, he was oppressed And treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and like a sheep is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Jesus had moments to complain, he had moments to talk about what he wished he would have done or, or to exclaim how he felt in the moment. It goes on to say that he was oppressed and treated harshly. Like he said, he never said a word. Uh, he was unjustly condemned, verse 8. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, <laughs> that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's cave, but, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. That's tough. That's tough. It's tough to acknowledge that sometimes the pain and the grief that we have is not always because we have crazy family members or we have people who don't understand, but sometimes the Lord is causing it and allowing us to go through it because he understands that he's using it to work something out for us. It goes on to say, uh, yet his life is made as an offering for sin. It says he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Verse 11 says, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Amen. It says, because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. Because of what he did 2,000 years ago in 2022 on this Easter weekend, we now have the access to be counted as righteousness. You see, at that point, I would have expected like everybody to get up and like do a lap around the room, you know, as believers who really believe this thing because we understand the significance of this statement. And I would have expected someone to be like, you know that slow clap like you see in the movies like that's the one you know but 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 i realized why we don't do that is because we're not really connecting with the text we don't do that because we read the bible like it's a biography of someone's life and it's this historical record and we don't have a heart connection with the book you know if we if we truly experienced what it was like to have our lives strung out and to go through these circumstances. Have you guys ever seen those people who are like recovering addicts, who like went through something traumatizing in their life and like when they see something that's inspiring to them, like someone else coming out of recovery, they're just like, yo, yo, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. You know, but for us who, who have been uh, recovered uh, Christians, recovered sinners, you know, we, we see the glory of salvation and we are kind of stoic in our pews and amen. I, I, I would clap, but um, I don't want to disturb the saints today. I mean, he's speaking right to me, but, but if I make a move, what will they think of me? I mean, I know my kids have never seen me, like, stand up and worship, but this song is tugging on my heart, but if they see it, what will they think of me? I know I want to, like, get up and shout and, like, thank God for the Easter weekend, and thank God for him saving me, and thank God for transforming my life, but, but if I do that, how will I look? We get stuck with something I call a people-pleasing addiction. We're fascinated and stuck and, and trapped by, the, uh, by this inner thought of other people and what other people think of us. When, let me, ca- I came here all the way from Chattanooga, Tennessee. We drove six and a half hours to tell you nobody's thinking about you like that. Nobody is. You're in your mind psyching yourself out and closing your life to another level of spirituality that God has for you. It's, I can't even tell you guys, Go ahead, tap yourself on the shoulder. Everybody go like this. Tap yourself on the shoulder. Tap yourself on the shoulders and say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No one's here to harm you. No one's gonna crucify you. It's okay to be excited about Jesus. You see, when I used to preach all the time, I, I used to truly get, get, get frustrated. I'm like, man, I'm going from church to church. Like, I'm preaching my heart out. I'm talking about the gospel. And like, all these churches are like, It's like, it's like we acknowledge so much in here, but, but we, we wouldn't even dare verbalize it. If someone were to know what God took you through to get you here. I don't know about you guys, man, but God took me through some stuff. You know, my journey is not perfect. You know, God, God had to work on my character and grow me and develop me. And when I think now about all he took me through, I'm just like, You know, every time, you, you know, last weekend, uh, me and Bessa were at church, and um, the pastor is like, oh, man, next weekend, Easter weekend, service is going to be bananas, we're going to have lights and food and all this, and we were like, yeah, we can't wait, it's going to be crazy, oh, I can't wait to go to church, and he was like, oh, the sermon, we have a pastor coming from out of town, I was like, man, I can't wait, I'm going to get dressed up, I'm going to go to church, and Bessa was like, Babe, you're preaching next weekend. I said, whoa, <laughs> Me? I said, no, 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 no. You got the wrong one. Like, that's, that's Easter weekend. Now that's supposed to be a big weekend for all Christian. This is our Black Friday, guys. This, this is the weekend we, we show out. This is the weekend that, that of all weekends of the year, this is the weekend that we give God our best. But we come to church and we... Hmm. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. amen and you know what's crazy the bible says unless we become like little children unless we are like that they're not afraid of what you guys think <laughs> because they understand that when they're touched they're gonna talk you know and a lot of times we, 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 we're shut like, like our, our, our walks with God are so shut because of this, this inner thought and perceptions that other people really matter that much around and the reality is nobody cares So I give you guys permission for the rest of this sermon. If at any point you feel God is touching and moving you and filling you and you feel you're connecting, whatever you need to do, you have permission to do. If you need to clap, if you need to say amen, if you need to stand up and just stand in solidarity, I'm giving you permission to release your, your spiritual experience today. It should be freeing. Now, I go to too many churches, and I see people just trapped because they feel like there's a way to worship. You know, worship has to have a flow to it. There's got to be three songs. There's got to be a prayer. There's got to be a scripture. After the scripture, there's got to be a sermon. After the sermon, there's got to be another song. After the song, we got to go eat potluck. And that's, like, my spiritual experience. You know, I don't see too many times of people just waking up and, like, having a full-out worship session in their car, you know, or like being at the gym and like cranking out that like 250 on the bench and be like, praise God! Oh, I did it! Mm." Oftentimes, our spiritual experience is like we described. And the reality is, is that You know, on this weekend, of all weekends, on the Black Friday of Christendom, you know, when every church is putting on their best foot forward, you know, this is when we'd want to give God our best. You see, we're talking, like I said, in Isaiah 53, you know, where we read about how Jesus was our intercessor how he took all of our burdens, how he bore this cross for us, how, how he, he, he went through this experience so that way we could be counted righteous through him. We did not have to work for this. We did not have to give up any money or put up any 401k or get our stocks in order. We did not have to get our savings account to a certain place. We didn't have to reach our FICO score, get an experience score that, that's just great enough for us to be able to acknowledge the fact that Jesus did a miraculous thing for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. You see, uh, he, here's, here's what he did for us right here. You see, God never allows a hurt that he has not already, already provided healing for. See, 2,000 years ago, the devil saw a pain. He saw a hurt. He saw a win in his eyes. And oftentimes, when, when we're living through life, we feel as though we go through pains and heartaches and experiences that we feel like maybe a loss in life. Maybe you took an L. I don't know if you guys know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 90s baby. You know, we talk about like you might take an L in life. You may take taken a loss. You may have failed at some point. But, but the good thing, the good news about the gospel is that Jesus never allows a hurt that he has not already provided healing for that broken place in your life he's already provided healing which is why he allows you to feel the hurt because if you don't feel the hurt then get this how will you connect to the hurting if you bypass the hurt part and you have a mission and you have a group of people that you're that you're assigned to how can you connect you've never been hurt. See, this was my issue about four years ago when I was coming out of undergrad and doing ministry the first time. I was about 25, super young, enthusiastic, you know, I, I, I did my, my undergrad, I got my, my bachelor's degree, I was a theologian in training, and, and, I, and I was giving y'all the Greek and the Hebrew, and, and what I didn't have was the experience. You see, God took me through a journey um, and allowed me for the last four years to be able to go through pain and hardships and heartache, highs and lows, to, to be able to understand and empathize with people. You see, I, I don't talk from as somebody who knows it. Or I talk about a person who's been through it, you know, and, and that's his goal for us, is what he wants us to be able to empathize and identify with people. You see, like I said, God never allows a hurt he has not already provided healing for. You see, and honestly, it's our perspective of death that will ultimately shape the perspective of our life. You see, how we see death is how we see life. You know, there's two sides of the same coin. You guys have to come up here. I still got a little bit more to go. You guys are, we're almost there. Um, You see, our perspective of death, like I said, ultimately will shape our perspective of life. Here's a couple perspectives that I would like us to, to collectively come to terms with today. Here's the first one. Death is inevitable. Some people are real uncomfortable with talking about death or talking about people dying or talking about the potential. I'm coming to tell you guys, death is inevitable. It happened to Jesus. And if it happened to him, why would we think it's never going to happen to us? If dying was a part of his mission, maybe God allows death to fulfill and to unlock another part of other people's mission around us. You know, have you guys, uh, I don't know how many of you guys are Kobe Bryant fans, you know, and, and, and it was tragically heartbroken when Kobe died, right? Five NBA championships, Los Angeles Lakers legend, you know, but, but the crazy thing was, it, it always happens like this, a person's greatest influence seems to always come after they die. It's as if the impact they made on everyone's life was solidified in that moment. Like, we don't give people their roses when they're here. You know, we're not, we're not that type of culture. We don't congratulate our friends or tell them how proud we are of them. Or so. What we do is we wait until they die. We go to funerals, we send our condolences, we tell them how proud we would have been of them, how inspiring they were to our lives. But the truth of the matter is death is inevitable. Not only is death inevitable, death is reversible. Everybody say that. Death is reversible. What this means to me is that although things have died, they have the power to come back to life. That season of your life, that relationship, that family member, that broken home that, that broken relationship, that, 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 that terrible financial situation, that filing for bankruptcy, that, that divorce that you went through, that, that, that dropping out of school, that, that baby you had early, all of these things, well, not the baby, I mean, we can't reverse the baby, but, you know, the thoughts about how you felt about the situation that you had when you were going through that situation, I mean, I'm just, I'm getting a little carried away, <laughs> let me stop, um, but, you know, all these things, guys, they're reversible. They are, you're not stuck to what has happened to you. I used to be stuck up here. Like I was like literally mentally stuck for a few years and I was just like, like how do I, it doesn't make sense. You know, and, and, and I had to come to some of these truths for myself, from my personal life and acknowledge them and look myself in the mirror and say, Mark Anthony, you have to acknowledge that death is reversible, Here's another truth I had to acknowledge right here. Death has no power. It doesn't. Ask Lazarus. Ask Jesus. Ask Moses. Ask David. Ask Samson. You may be saying, why, why David and Moses and Samson? And these guys never died. Yeah, but some of them died inside. You know, some of them, some of them had a spiritual death feeling of failure, feeling that they, 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 they dropped the ball and it was all over, and God in his mercy tsk, said, I got you, man. There's grace for you, too. You don't have to feel as all hope is lost. You can truly uh, believe that, that, that God has more in store for you and that he wants more for you. We said the first one is what? Death is Inevitable. Not only is death inevitable, death is what? Reversible. Get your hope back today, guys. I want somebody to get some hope back and believe again and and encourage themselves again to know that it's reversible. And not only is it reversible, but death is what? Y'all got to say that one for me today. We're talking about Easter weekend, the resurrection, of life, death, what? Y'all talking like it does have power right now. Yeah, I'm going to push y'all today. Y'all need a little pushing. Death has what? It's like, who are you concerned about right now? You guys are just like, you know, like passively like, it has no power. Like, no, no, no. Like, I want you guys to like, like give it to me. Like your favorite sports team just scored a touchdown at the Super Bowl. You got free tickets to go fly out to see the Rams go ahead and play. Uh, uh, Who did they play in the Super Bowl this year? Somebody tell me. Somebody tell me. The who? They play? oh, Miami. <laughs> Y'all terrible. <laughs> the Bengals, thank you. Thank you. Someone was serious this morning. You get a, a extra credit on your salvation card today. Um, the Rams played the Bengals. You got first class tickets. You're sitting on the field. They just scored a touchdown. Odell Beckham, one hand in the end zone. And he said, death has what? No power. No power. No power at all. Oh, well, how do we know this is True. I like to confirm this through the text because if I just talk about it, y'all are going to think I'm just blowing smoke. You guys are going to think that I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just gassing you guys up. So let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4. If you've never read the book of Revelation, uh, we've got some stuff going on in the world right now that you might want to crack that book open and see what's going on over there. But in Revelation uh, chapter 21, one of my favorite texts in the Bible, guys, uh, verse 3 to 4, it says this. Now, we can start in verse one. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth, earth, that's my Caribbean coming out, (laughs) the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse three is where it gets good. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And here's verse four. I love this text, right? He says, he will wipe every tear from their eye and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. He's encouraging to know that death is inevitable, it's reversible, and it has no power. It has no power, guys. It has none. Um, You see, when Jesus said, it is finished, I'm getting excited now. The devil thought that he won. The devil pinned him to the cross, put put his knight or his bishop or his rook in front of the king and said check. I got him. Your king has been captured. Look at him on the cross, hanging, bleeding, check. And the whole world was in shock. You know, I, I see this like a movie in my mind, you know, the devil's like, you know, really buff, like, football player, you know, and like, he's like taking advantage of this like small, wimpy child, you know, but this small, wimpy child is like smarter than him and had a plan to get out of it way before he got captured, you know, so the plan was for him to get captured so that way he could fulfill the plan so that he could ultimately defeat the big bully. You know, I see it like, like a 3D movie in my mind, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, Jesus on this cross is pinned and nailed and, and, and what we talk about is, uh, you know, he was rare to fulfill, but Jesus dying as he died was actually fulfilling the plan of salvation, which would actually, as we talked about earlier, was the devil thought it was checkmate. Jesus' death was the actual checkmate. He reversed the curse, he reversed the pain, he reversed the heartache, he took back the authority that the devil thought he had, and he took it back for himself. See, because when other people die, they stay dead. You know, like, I don't, I don't expect for Kobe or, or um, Michael Jackson to be popping out of the graves on Easter weekend and giving us awesome basketball games and beautiful music or a concert. I don't expect that. You know, when someone dies, like they stay dead. They're in the ground. It's a wrap. We live their legacy Through us and through the experiences that we have. But the beautiful thing is that when Jesus died, he did not stay dead. You see, when Jesus died, he not only rose, but he came back to life uh, through the death. Uh, And here's what he did while he was dead he did a couple things while he was down there. Um, Number one, he defeated death. Jesus is the only person that died and while dead, defeated death is like this, this ultimate Star Wars showdown. Whatever your favorite battle is, you know, I'm an Avengers fan, you know, and I, I love like the MCU, and, and when I saw Endgame, and I saw Thanos and his thousands of armies, and I saw Captain America getting beat up and picking up his shield, and I saw the portals opening up, and I saw all the other Avengers from the other movies showing up, and, and Captain America strapped it one more time to his arm and said, Avengers, assemble. Jesus went to death to fight. But he made sure that he came out with a win. So when Jesus died, first thing he did, like I said, he defeated death. The second thing Jesus did was he robbed the grave. He robbed the grave. It it, it was was a grand heist. He was going down there to uh, uh, go ahead and take everything that the devil had stolen from us. Um, The third thing Jesus did was he took back the keys of hell. He went to hell, beat up the devil, beat up life, beat up death, robbed the grave, and then took the keys back and left. I mean, that's some gangster stuff right there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you guys like Scarface, if you guys like all these like, like, like gangster movies where people are like kidding, like, like this is the best movie right here. You know, Jesus went to hell, took death down, robbed the grave, took the keys back, and then through faith gave us resurrection power for our lives. You see, here's what we can understand about this story about a man I love named Jesus. There is resurrection power in the name of Jesus. For every death, there is a resurrection power in the name of Jesus. Whatever has died in your life, through Christ, it can be raised back to life. Whether it's a job, that relationship, that broken family, that, that pattern of health, those cysts, those, those, those hurts, that pain in your body, the disease, the depression that you may be experiencing, those, those dreams and those goals and those hopes and aspirations that you have for yourself, that may have died along the way because ah, I'm not, I might not be fit for that. I may not, I'm not cut. I don't have enough. I'm not. Those family members who passed, and you know, whatever has died in your life through Christ, you know, he has the resurrection power to bring all of these things back to life. Even ourselves, as broken and jacked up as we are, no, let's be real, you know? I don't know about you guys, but I know that there have definitely been some seasons that I gave up on myself. There have been some seasons that I thought I wasn't worth it. I felt like, who am I? I felt like I'm like too dirty, like I messed up too much, you know? And in those seasons, you know, when I feel like a piece of me has died, even then, there's resurrection power in Jesus' name, You know, uh, I said earlier that uh, this is really our take-home for the day, right here, guys. God never allows a hurt that He has not already provided healing for. That broken place, that 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 that, that destitute area, that 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 point in your life where you feel that is broken. He never allows the hurt. I didn't say God hurts us. You know, some people think that God intentionally, willfully desires pain. No, he doesn't do that. He allows her, because the Bible says that in this world we will have what? Trouble. But he said, take heart. He said, take heart. I got it. I got you guys. So he allows hurt, but only at the expense that he's already provided, provided the healing before we are hurt. So he's setting it up so that way as you're in the process of pain, he wants you to rely on him. He wants to go back to the source that will heal those broken areas of your life. He wants you to trust him again and to love him again and to depend on him again. You see, like I said, God never allows a hurt that he has not already provided healing for. You see, and I'm not going to lie, you know, there are definitely times, like I said, in my life where I felt like the devil had me at checkmate, you know, um, as, as, as life has taken me through these many seasons, um, I've been blessed to be able to see uh, the manifestation of God in many ways of my life. You know, the last time I was here, uh, I was expecting a child, um, I was working for a conference, I got let go, uh, I had to move back to Chattanooga. I had not, I, when I left here, guys, like, life was really, really rough for me for a season. You know, I had no job, you know, I, I, I always had to figure it out, you know? And I said, God, like, how did you take me from, like, what I thought was the height of my life to the lowest point of my life right now? You know, how did you take me from essentially having it all, you know, the happy Sabbath, you know, to are you guys hiring? Can I get a job? I'm willing to do whatever. And um, it's crazy because um, the journey that God took me through um, I worked a couple different jobs, and, and, and what happened was in the middle of that, um, I don't know if any of you knew, but I was always fascinated with hair. Like, hair was my thing. Like, I just, I just love cutting hair. They're just a hobby of mine, but God, I believe, used barbering to save my life. You know, I thought that the goal was to be a pastor, but I come to find out that the goal was to, was to pastor through what he called you to. You know, I understood that, that, that being a pastor is more than standing on a pulpit and preaching. I'm going to finish this one today. I'm going to finish this one. I got to get this one out. You know, pastoring is more than just like having the love and appreciation from people and being like on this pedestal and being like this socially influential person. You know, pastoring is really about going through the mud. You know, it's really about uh, being down with the people, you know, and being uh, sharing about their infirmities, you know, feeling what they feel. Um, you know, when, I went, when uh, my daughter's mother was pregnant, um, You know, I felt like life kind of like hit a low for me. You know, oh the pastor had a kid out of wedlock. The pastor messed up. Oh, how how dare we have the pastor come and do ministry because he's not fit anymore. And then y'all haven't seen me. I've been off the grid, like Facebook off, Instagram off, like off the grid because I felt like there was no more grace for me. You know, I felt like I went too far. You know, you guys ever felt like that? Like, you went too far? Like, there's no way to come back from how far you've gone? And, you know, life took some other turns for me, um, and, and, and that relationship ended, and, and I ended up, you know, losing my job after that, and I ended up in a period of time uh, sleeping in my car, jobless, and just, you know, I remember sleeping outside of Planet Fitness in my car one night. No job, I'm in hair school. I'm trying to figure out how to say God, this, like a couple months ago, I was at Taft preaching and like killing it. And I'm sleeping in my car. And I don't have no job. I don't have no money. And you gave me this dream of like, in here? Nah, man, that's not it, man. No way. Because I felt like, you know, sometimes the calling that God gives us, we think is beneath us. And we think that it's not big enough because it's not on the stage in the pulpit, but what I learned over the time of meeting some uh, godly mentors, man, some godly barbers who really poured into me to help me to literally rehabilitate myself back to the version that you guys see today. I'll tell you guys, I have not preached a sermon since I've been here. Thank you. Because what God wanted me to do, God didn't want me to preach anymore. God wanted me to live. He said, "I can't." He said, "I can't." Ah, you got a lot of theology, but you don't got a lot of practicality. And I need you to get some more life experience, and, and, and through that process of doing hair and working at barber shops and, and, and servicing people, I would have all these moments where I'd be in the middle of a haircut. Hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? Oh, Mike. Oh, nice to meet you. Oh, so, who are you? Uh, you guys ever remember uh, Lion King*? The movie *Lion King*. When um, Simba, you know, after he thought he killed his dad, he went off with Timon and Pumbaa into, like, uh, this, 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 this faraway place, and they were just, like, Hakuna Matata, right? Like, and then Nala comes back into the story and is like, Simba? Is that you? And he's like, no, 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 that's not me. That's not who I am. You don't know me. He's just denying who he is, and I went through a season of life of denying who I was. I had an identity crisis. You know, I wasn't the same Person that I remember being. And I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran from the person that God called me to be. And in the process of that, y'all wouldn't believe how many haircuts turned into Bible studies. Like, y'all wouldn't believe how many services turned into church. You know, I don't believe how many times people walked into the barbershop and said, Brother, let me stop you right now, man. You're different. I don't know who you are, where you from, what you do, but you're standing out right now. And I'm talking, like, I got the drip, you know what I'm saying? I got my jewelry on, I got my hat, you know, I'm real cool, real calm. And he's like, you don't fool me. He's like, I can see right through all He said, you're hiding. You're running from something. And I had these conversations year after year after year. And I'm like, oh, God, why do they keep trying to uh, talk to me about you? Oh, uh, you know, I don't really talk to you like that no more. And... uh the thing that really uh, made a shift for me was um, after my daughter was born, um, I had to ask myself a question, I said, how can I ever tell her about a God that I don't even know? If you're a parent and you have kids, you know, it's our responsibility to teach our kids about God. But how can we teach them about something that we have no relationship with at all? And it was a sobering moment for me when I realized ah, something's gotta change. If I ever want her to know the love of God, the love of a father who will unconditionally pour himself out for her, I have to be that father. You know, I have to be that one that will stand in the gap. I have to be the one that's willing to go the extra mile, go the distance. I have to be the father, earthly father, that reflects the heavenly father, to show her, hey, it's possible. Like, it's doable. And, and, and through the time uh, I was working, uh, I kept cutting hair, and um, I came to the realization about like a year ago, uh, when I moved from one shop I was working at to another shop downtown, um, and this was the thought that I had, it said, "Mike Anthony, God never changed, God may have changed your pulpit, but He never changed your purpose." The pulpit changed. It wasn't it wasn't up here. I didn't have a clicker. I didn't have one of these cool like portable mics. Like Matt wasn't bringing me water and letting me use my iPad on stage. Like it wasn't that. It was nice to meet you. And that's where the ministry started to happen. And what happened was my my perspective on life changed. And I realized, like, all the stuff you went through, the baby mamas, the the church hurt, you know, the feeling far from God, the the homelessness, the the financial poverty, the grind, the come up, the having to work to pay the bills and and be an adult and, you know, take care of kids and, and struggle sometimes, all of that was a part of God's plan because had I not gone through that I would have never built the relationships that I have right now like had, had I had the truck driver that's coming from Louisiana in town that's in town for a day to see his kid's birthday you know what I could tell him hey man I got a kid too you know, had I not gone through the struggle of finances when, when a client comes in and says man I really need a haircut but I just don't have it hey brother I know what it's like to not have it you got it today is on me you know, had I not understood what it's like to be, to be down and to be going through an emotional period and feeling depressed, I, I've counseled and counseled and counseled behind the chair that, that now I, I, I coined it, uh, calling it hair therapy. <laughs> you know, I'm a counselor. I don't, I don't wear a badge. I, I wear a hat and a smock and some jeans and maybe some Jordans. And I counsel all day long. I counsel, counsel, counsel their lives, their kids, their families. I'm like, man, this this feels like something I used to do, you know, like it's in a different environment, but it feels like close to the same, and what I had to get to the terms, and realize that what God was doing was saying that I may have changed your pulpit, but your purpose is the same, and what you're called here to do is exactly the same, and I don't care what shop I went to, I don't care where I worked, but it's like God like had His hand on it, and like everything I touched just flourished. You know, like it it was tough. I'm not gonna. It was tough. Like it's still tough. You know, um. But everything I touched almost turned to gold. You know, like I saw lives being changed. I saw, you know, families being brought back together. I saw, you know, individuals coming to God. I saw like so much happening, and I was like, man, God, you're doing all this cutting hair. And that's when it continued. I I get these revelations from God continuously now because now that I'm back open to being spiritually aware uh, and connected, you know, God continues to speak to me and says, you know what, the reason why you're suited here is because, you know what, there's some people that will never go to Triad. It's true. There's some people that are never gonna come to Greensboro and hear you preach. There's some people that only want a haircut, In actuality, you're going to touch more people in the barbershop than you would have been stuck at a church. You know, I have Baptist clients. I have Muslim clients that are practicing Ramadan now. I have Jewish clients. I have Presbyterians. I have Adventist clients. I have non-denomination. I have atheist clients. And for some reason, they all all want a haircut from this preacher boy. (laughs) And it's because when God has something on your life, You know, it says, like, your light, you know, will draw people towards you. It doesn't matter where you go. Yeah, I like this. I do. I'm not going to say that I don't. I really do. But I understand that I don't have to do it here for it to make an impact out there. And I think that was the purpose of the story of Jesus. You know, Jesus never spent three and a half years in a temple, in a synagogue, preaching weekly programmed sermons with, with graphics on the slides and, and and building a community of believers in a building. Jesus was building the building of building up people. You know, Jesus' goal was to make sure that everywhere he went that people's lives were changed. That he helped a community change. You know, and in that place I realized I'm right on track. Like I came to peace with that like a few months ago. Like, dude, you are you're so on track that you're actually crushing your goals right now, you know? Um, A few years ago, you know, I had um, some sisters who passed away, and um, that was one of the last times I preached before coming to TAF. And then um, one of the things I said in that sermon was... um, you know, I'm going to make sure. I said, I said, the devil, man, you took two from me. You took my, two of my sisters. I said, but you know, my response is I'm going to bring as many back to the kingdom for God and this big showdown. And I was talking big cash money. And then my life went down the drain after that. And I stopped. So, public service announcement. I'm back. I'm back, I'm back, it may not be up here, but I'm back with him, you know, and I think that's what really matters, and I think the the purpose of of the the journey that God wants us is not to be stuck on a cross somewhere, you know, sweating and bleeding and and thinking life through, I think he wants us to actually die sometimes, you know, because in dying, we have the ability to be resurrected. I think sometimes God wants us to go through those hard places to experience death in some seasons of our life and to acknowledge it and to go through it so that way through Him we can be resurrected. I think the goal of this weekend, I think the goal of us, you know what I'm saying, doing uh, this, this Christian walk, you can come on, Howard. Uh, the goal of us going ahead and, and planning and praying and, and being involved is not so that way we can get the glory, but so that way God can get the glory. And, and I think that if we, if we are able to truly trust the vision, trust the mission, trust the pain, you know, trust the process, you know, to, to, to never forget uh, this point right here, guys. the whole purpose of of the the salvation of the Lord um, and, and, and Jesus resurrecting on Sunday morning and us being able to share in his life and his death and his resurrection for us to understand that God never allows a hurt that he has not already provided healing for. Even his heavenly father already provided salvation and resurrection for his son before he died. He knew the mission. It was clear. Son, you're going to die but you're gonna be resurrected. So it it, it made sense for him to be sold out in his mission where he knew that his purpose was going to be fulfilled. And I came here to encourage somebody today, man, to say, God's not done with you yet. If he's not done with me, and I know myself, and I know where I've been, I know where I still can be, I know where I might be, and I know where I would've been had it not been for God there's no way that he's done with you. And I encourage you guys today, um, take that message and share it with somebody. Um, share it with somebody that you know needs it. Bring some hope to someone's life. Yeah, let's, let's get out of the, of, the, of the corporate worship, man. Let's go back and invade this world, guys. You guys work at different jobs, in different locations. Y'all have different friends and family. It's time to take all this juice we got here and go back to the people that God gave us influence over and to make a lasting impact on their lives. Because if we can't do it out there, honestly, it doesn't matter if we do it in here. They're not coming here because they want something. They're coming here because of a relationship. They're coming here because they they, they see something deeper, a deeper experience. And so how are we going to get each person to go ahead and to live this life? Man, I'm calling you guys to Action. You know, I encourage you guys, man, next week, bring somebody. Let your witness in your personal life, not your Christian life, your personal life be so strong that someone is like, man, Howard, dude, you're awesome, man. Like, how, like, how do you, like, you know what I'm saying? The drip, you know what I mean? The, the, the swag, you know, you know what I mean? The, the shoes, the guitar. How do you, you know, the curls? Man, I can't get the curls. Like I'm trying, bro. It's you know, <laughs> this is all fake. <laughs> and how does he do it? He's supposed to point back to the sun, and in living an authentic life, and other people being inspired by you, it should be a no-brainer for them to say, wherever you go, I'm trying to be there too. That's if we're living an authentic Christian life. You know, if we're living a Sabbath Christian life, if we're living a uh, uh, amen, oh, praise God. You know, if we're, if we're internalizing our walk with God, but not expressively letting the whole world know, yes, I'm a Christian, and I'm proud, and Jesus lived and died and resurrection, and come talk to me about it. Like, I'm here. You're going to have to come check me. You're going to have to come see me. You know, it's Easter weekend, like we didn't drive six hours to come down here, you know, for a memorial service. You didn't come here for that. We came here to inspire hope, to give someone vision again, to give someone clarity again. And for those of you who have seen my journey and have been watching and have been seeing, I can tell you guys, Jesus is alive. And how do I know he's alive? because I should have been dead. I should have been. There are many days I should have been dead. And the enemy had me in a place where he felt like, like, like God doesn't love you or forgive you or want you. And it took a lot of prayers. It took a lot of people pouring into me, you know, to be able to I feel confident enough to share my testimony and share with you guys comfortably, honestly, transparently with you guys that um, that cross is empty, baby. It's empty. And what's funny enough is all over the world, every cross is empty. So since they're all empty, I think we got something to celebrate. You know, I think this weekend has significance because if the cross was still full, we wouldn't be here. But since the cross is empty, we got a reason to shout. We got a reason to wake up every morning uh, and be encouraged and to be sold out for this gospel. I I know I took my time and preached today. I know. I know. I know you're expecting lunch early, I know, I get it, you know, you want to go grab some Chick-fil-A, I know, it's okay I grabbed some this morning, it's all good, like, Jesus loves you, like, it's okay, like, he's not, he's not that critical, like, your salvation is not on the line for feeding yourself (laughs) because you're hungry versus having a relationship with God, like. Is really not that deep, guys. I'm telling you guys. Like when you when you release yourself from the social stigma of this uh, Christian perfectionism, your life will be so much better. It will be. You know, before I came here today, I was like, I was telling uh Best, I was like, babe, I I don't know how to dress today. I should maybe I should be a, a little more conservative. You know, I don't want to offend the saints today. And I was like, man, bump it. I I was the dead man. You know what I'm saying? I was the one that died. <laughs> They're going to hear my story. I'm saying They're going to hear it authentically in the skin that God put me in. Because I told my God one thing. I said, if you ever uh, ask me to do this again, I'm never going to do it unless you allow me to do it authentically in the skin that you gave me. I'm not going to do this fake. I'm not going to come up here and sugarcoat stuff and act like I got this perfect life and put on this, oh, hey, guys. Have you... No, that's not me. Like, I don't roll like that. You know, and I encourage you guys not to live like that either. You know, don't try to put on the Christian facade to please people when truly you're just a chill individual. Like, be chill. It's okay. It's okay to put your armor on your girl like mad at church. It's okay. It's all right to get a little kiss every now and then. It's okay. You're married. God loves you. Enjoy this thing, guys. And I know I can go on and on and on. I can preach all day, y'all. Now, clearly, y'all say I've been bubbling over. Um, but, but at the end of the day, um, I just really want to encourage you guys and just say, you know, um, God never allows a hurt that he's not provided healing for. That cross is empty because he lived and died and rose again. And whatever is dead in your life, today we know that the resurrection power is real because you're looking at a dead man that came back to life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Uh, we thank you for the blessings you've given us. God, we thank you that you've brought numerous dead people and the living dead back to life. God, we thank you for allowing us to experience this moment in corporate worship. But, God, we don't want it to stop there. We ask that you will give us a spirit of evangelism, a spirit of of being able to talk to the community, to go take this word and bring it out to our community, God. We want you to send us uh, out. You know, your great commission said go out to the world and teach and preach and baptize. It didn't say come stay at Taft, It said go take it to the world and teach and to get out there. And to knock on those doors and to talk to people at our jobs and to go to the gym and to go to Publix and to go to Walmart and to be a living witness of what you've done in our lives. And God, I pray nothing else that we are gracious and thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus and the, and the gift of salvation that we have as a result of that. Help us never to forget uh, how you came and lived and died and how death has no power. How death is inevitable, but you also have the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and you overcame it when you died, God. And now there's an empty tomb, there's a a bodiless cross, and there's a world full of people that you have our best interest for, God. Send us, God. Fill us. Allow us to go ahead with the Spirit of God to go and take over the world. And thank you for allowing us to share this moment in this space, in this building, with these people under your sound and your voice. Let all God's people say Amen.